Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. There are only on earth two groups of people. There are the blessed and there are the cursed. And if you have never, by faith in Jesus Christ, moved from the cursed, into which all of us are born, into the blessed, then today you are still cursed. The outward life of someone who's cursed can be misleading. You remember that Asaph scratched his head for this very reason. He said, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. But then Asaph entered into the sanctuary of God and it was revealed to him this, truly you set them in slippery places, how they're destroyed in a moment. If you were to look at your own life today and say, am I blessed or am I cursed before God? Probably the first thing you would do is look at your circumstances and see if your bank account is full, if your nest egg is plump, if you drive a nice vehicle and own a nice house, if your relationships are solid, if your family is secure, then you would consider yourself to be blessed. And if on the other hand, you looked at yourself and you had no nest egg, it hatched and flew away long ago, you have very little in savings, you're living paycheck to paycheck, your house is falling apart, your car is breaking down, and your relationships are crumbling, then you would look at your life and think, I am cursed by God. But it's not that way. Outward circumstances are no proof one way or the other whether you really are, in essence, a blessed or cursed person in keeping with Scripture. Two men may work the same sort of job, own the same kind of house, drive the same kind of car. One is blessed, one is cursed. We've seen in these last few years a sort of revival of interest in zombies in the culture. And it's on every show and you see it all the time. But there is a real sense in which if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you're living in one of those movies. You yourself have been made to be alive spiritually. You have been blessed, but you live in a world full of the undead, full of those who really are, according to Scripture, cursed and cut off from the life of God. Whether their life looks prosperous or not externally makes no difference at all. There is a curse from God resting on the head. The waiter who brings you your food, the customer service rep, the friend, the neighbor, the cashier, they can only either be blessed through faith in Jesus Christ or apart from that remain just as we all once were, cursed of God. Anyone in this world who is looking for a right standing with God by being good enough, the Bible declares is cursed. And the worst thing of all is that there are many religious people who post posts with hashtag blessed on it, who are not actually blessed in the biblical sense, or have wall decor with blessing written on it, but are not blessed in the truest and most essential sense. You can't look on the outside and judge whether or not one is blessed, although it's our temptation to do it. Scripture says, this is a fact and it's unchangeable, that any person in this world who has sinned is under a curse. And if you're trying to get out from under that curse by being better, then you are under a curse doubly. It doesn't matter what the rest of your life looks like or doesn't look like. 
Obviously, not one person of us in here wants to be cursed by God, and every single one of us craves God's blessing. It's really the universal quest of mankind to hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We want that, the warmth of His smile. And so, we have particular reason to be concerned about the passage we've come to today in Galatians 3. Because what Paul is going to talk about in this passage today, and what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us is first, the curse that we are all from the time of our birth under, but secondly, the one and the only way that you can get out from under that curse and instead be blessed. So let's look at this. We're in Galatians 3, and we're starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, quote, the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, such as a cross. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The Lord is saying to you today the same thing that he said to the Israelites when they had just about crossed the Jordan into the land of promise. He said, see, I'm setting before you today both blessing and curse. We are presently in the second part of Galatians. This is Paul's letter to the believers in a region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. We saw that the main argument of this entire letter is you cannot get right with God by anything you do, but only by faith in Jesus Christ and that faith alone. And we saw in the first two chapters where Paul defended the fact that he got this gospel of justification by faith alone from God. He didn't invent it. He didn't get it from any other apostles. It came from God. But now in chapters 3 and 4, the second part of this letter, Paul is directly arguing for what his gospel says, namely that you can't be right with God except through faith in Jesus with nothing added to it. And especially in chapter 3, although a little in chapter 4, he's going to be relying on the Old Testament to show that this was always true, that this was always God's purpose. That's why in our text today, we have no fewer than four quotations from the Old Testament as Paul makes this argument. And he said last week, if you remember, that Abraham's true children, the ones who really received the blessing promised to Abraham, are those who believe in Christ. And this passage today begins with four, because on the basis of that, four, Abraham's true children have to be believers because if you are not a believer in Christ, you are cursed, and therefore you can't be blessed. And so it has to be by faith. And that's what leads us to this very carefully reasoned passage that we are in today. So we're going to look at these two things in this passage. One is going to be 
the curse. But then the second is going to be how to be uncursed or really how to be blessed. So let's look at the curse first. It's an ugly picture, but we have to pay close attention to it. It touches on each one of our lives. So look at this in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, the most immediate reference in this passage is to the Jewish people and not necessarily to us who are not Jewish, also known as Gentiles. The passage that's being quoted here, you may remember, it is when the Levites were required to take half of the tribes of Israel before they entered into the promised land and stand them on Mount Ebal. And the Levites read off for them a list of 12 cursed bees. They would say, cursed be, cursed be, and the people had to respond, amen, that they agreed that anyone who violated any of these commands were cursed. And the commands, if you go back and read them back in Deuteronomy 27, were basically the Ten Commandments, give or take. So it was an encapsulation of the law. So there were half the tribes on Mount Ebal. There were the Levites to say, cursed be, and they would say, amen. And the last of those 12 cursed bees is the one that Paul is quoting because it is a kind of summary of the other 11. And it is, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, since this is at first referring to the Jewish people, when he says book of the law, he's referring to the Mosaic law. So how could we say, that all of us in this room from the time of our birth are cursed, how could we be included here? We don't, we're not born with a Torah at our feet. We're not Jewish people. At least I don't think any of us here are probably Jewish people. How can we be held guilty for violating the book of the law that doesn't belong to us? It's Jewish. And throughout history, many Gentiles had no access to it. We can read it in the Old Testament, but many had no access. So how can we say that all people in the world are under a curse from the time of birth if this is specifically talking about the Jewish people and the Jewish law that pertain to the Jewish people? We'll look more closely at our text. Cursed be everyone who does not abide. Everyone. The original Hebrew... Back in Deuteronomy 27, it only implied everyone, but the Greek translation that Paul is using and that through Paul is part of inspired scripture literally says it. Everyone, every person who does not abide. This is why when you get to verses 13 and 14 here, he says, Christ redeemed us. And who is us? Here's Paul. He's Jewish, but he's writing to the Galatians, many of whom are not Jewish. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Us, Jew, Gentile, us. We were under the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, which by the way, in the Old Testament, that command applied to non-Jewish people. If you were non-Jewish and you were hung on a tree, you were still regarded as cursed. So at times when Israel would defeat a foreign king and they would hang him on a tree, they would keep the command to remove them before night because they considered that non-Jew cursed. You see how the law applied in that instance to the non-Jewish person? They could still come under the curse of the tree, 
even if they didn't know about that curse because they're Gentiles. So that, the, so that through Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That last part. Why would it be necessary for Christ to become a curse so that the blessing of Abraham would come to Gentiles? Wouldn't he just have to become a curse for the Jews because it's their law? No, only, this only works if we non-Jews are part of the everyone who are under a curse for violating the law. Paul makes the same point in Romans 5. On the one hand, he says, sin is not counted where there is no law. You're not held responsible for things you don't know. But, on the other hand, he says, yet when you look at history, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There was no law until Moses, and yet death, which is a curse, from back in Genesis 2, 3, a curse that comes from violating God's will, death was still present for Gentiles who'd never heard about the law. How is that possible? Because even for Gentiles, even if you don't have the law, you are still under a curse for violating God's will because everyone has done it. That's why Paul summarizes like this, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Every person in this world has an innate sense of what God wants them to do. We know that we shouldn't steal. The problem's not knowing that we shouldn't steal. The problem's that we do it anyways. We know that we shouldn't lie. But the problem is we lie anyways. We violate even our own inner sense of what is moral and what is right. So you don't need the law of the Jews, which lays out clearly and explicitly what is wrong, to know that what you're doing is wrong. We, according to Romans 1, although we know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, those who sin deserve death, we know that. He's talking about Gentiles without the law. Even though we know that, we not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The point is, it doesn't matter if you had the law or didn't have the law. If you were Jewish, if you were not Jewish, everyone is born under a curse. And it is a curse for violating God's will. Whether that is through the law written out that you're looking at as a Jew, or here looking at the Bible and knowing that you're breaking what the Bible tells you to do, or if you're unchurched and you've never looked at a Bible, violating the sense of God's will that he's programmed into us. In either case, we violate God's will. And what is the consequence for all of us in violating God's will? Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law or in this inner moral law we have and do them. Now, specifically in our passage, the curse is for those who rely on the works of the law. That's what it talks about at the beginning of this passage. But really, the reason for that is because we are cursed first for sinning or violating God's will. So we're stuck in a deep pit of cursedness. And what we want to do is to get out of that pit. So what happens is we decide, I'm going to get out of that pit, how? By being a better person. For the Jewish people, it's by adhering as closely as I can to the law given on Sinai through Moses. I will keep that law best I can. It's an attempt to get out of this cursedness for violating God's will. But then you just 
slide back down into the pit. You are relying on the ladder of the law and it never got anyone out of the pit. It doesn't work that way. That's why those relying on that to get out of cursedness are themselves doubly cursed. Cursed for sinning, cursed for relying on the law. You cannot get uncursed by the law. You can get cursed by the law, and you have. You cannot get uncursed by the law. And that's what's explained in verses 11 and 12. Now, it is evident that no one is justified or counted as right before God by the law. For the righteous shall live, not by the law, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them, the commandments, shall live by them, not by believing, but by doing the commandments. And right there in those verses, you maybe recognize the first quotation. It's the famous one from Habakkuk 2.4 that's used by Paul in his letter to the Romans as the thesis, the basis of that entire book in Romans 1.17. The point of that first quotation is that the righteous don't live by their doing. Those who are counted righteous before God, how did they get that way? They were cursed. How did they get righteous? It doesn't say by the law. It doesn't say by morality. It doesn't say by what they did. It says by faith. That's the only way. So that should make it obvious that if you want to be righteous before God, if you want to be uncursed, it can't be by what you do, but by faith. It's the only way to live is by faith. And then that second quotation is from Leviticus 18.5, the one who does them shall live by them. The point here is that the law commands doing, not believing. It commands doing. The problem here with this quotation, the problem is not that it's not true because it is true. The one who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, if you could keep God's commandments, you would go straight to heaven for doing it. But the problem is the one who does them. You can't fulfill that word. You can't be one who does them. You can't do the law. That's why where he says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You can't. That's the problem. Haven't you had a time in your life where you started to realize that the way you were living your life was not good? It was not the way that you know if you believed in God at the time that God wanted you to live or perhaps you just simply felt like you were being a bad person. So what did you do about it? You may have had a moment where you said, I can't go on like this enough. I am going to do something about it. And you form some new resolutions and you try to clean up your act. You try to change the way you were living until you were living in a way you would consider a decently good person. But if you were honest with yourself, and I've been there and you've probably been there, when you tried to do that, you looked back at your life again and went, I'm still not a good person. Because you cannot do enough to satisfy the law. If you did that, if you had that experience, then you are part of the all who rely on works of the law. And you're cursed because it can't get you out of the curse of your sin. The reason for this is because the law doesn't care about you. The law can't care about you. And the law can't have any mercy on you. 
The law is an absolute. When we have human laws, we can be a little bit flexible sometimes. But God's law is not that way because God is the lawgiver and his justice is absolute. So if there is a violation of an expressed will of God, if there's a violation, God has to punish that violation. The law can't be compromised or it's less than a perfect law. So the law tells you good things you ought to do and good things you ought to be. So when you start to feel like a bad person, you think I should just do and be the things the law is telling me. But the problem is that you misunderstand. You already have not done or been the things the law requires of you. So what are you going to do with all the curse and guilt from before? How are you going to get rid of your many, many, many violations that are already there upon your record in the past? And most of us kind of have this almost knee-jerk like a doctor tapping the bottom of your knee and you kick. Almost this knee-jerk reaction where we feel we have to do something. So if I just lessen the frequency with which I sin in the future, then God will put that on the scales and he may acquit me. But why? We don't really think it through. There's no reason at all why sinning less tomorrow will clear you of your sins yesterday. It's just a desperate attempt of us to rely upon the law, our own law, a moral law. But we are throwing ourselves upon it desperately because we have nothing else we know to do. We throw ourselves upon the law and think as long as I try to be a better person, God will accept that. In the medieval Roman Catholic Church, it was stated, do what is in you, and God will accept that. But here's Jesus' half-brother James explaining why that will never work. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, one lawgiver, God, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So it's not going to do for you to be on trial for murder and to say to the judge, well, yes, judge, I get it, I murdered him. But after I murdered him, I did not steal any of his property. So you ought to let me go. Well, in that case, yes, you're innocent of stealing his property, but you are still guilty of murdering him. You are still guilty before the law. You are still a transgressor of the law. And it doesn't matter which sins you do more of, which sins you do less of. If you've kept the whole law and sinned once in your life, then you fall into this category of cursed, of guilty before God, because the law is absolute in its requirement. And so, Paul says here, it should be obvious, it's obvious that you can't be justified by the law. We are all cursed, and if you rely upon the law and becoming a better person to get uncursed, then you're just more cursed. And of course, the consequence of our curse after this life, Scripture clearly teaches, is eternal judgment. To die with the curse upon us is to enter into eternal conscious torment before God, which is not an exaggerated response to our sin, but is perfectly appropriate to how heinous it is that we have sinned against God. So that's the bad news. That is the curse that we all start with. But of course, Paul 
is interested in giving us as well good news. Excuse me. We are not just talking about bad news, but about good news. And so that moves us now from the curse to the question that's burning in our minds, which is how do I get rid of it? How do I get uncursed? How do I receive a blessing instead from God? The answer comes in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We have spoken before of the way that God used the inner logic of the law itself to free us from the law. And the same thing is happening here where Christ has used the inner logic of the law itself to free us from the curse of the law. Those quotations in this passage are from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the ones above, I mean, about doing the law. Those are Deuteronomy and Leviticus. We cannot do the law, and therefore we are cursed. But then what did Christ do for us? It says, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's wonderful, but how is that possible? If the law is absolute, by becoming a curse for us, well, that's wonderful, but how could that be because our curse comes from violating God's law and Jesus never did? Jesus never sinned. And being God could not sin, did not sin. So Jesus did not come under the curse of the law. So this is a wonderful idea that the law could be satisfied if Jesus steps in as our substitute and takes that curse. So God's not just withdrawing his curse, pretending there never was a curse, but instead he's putting it on someone else's head. Wonderful idea, but there's one massive problem. Jesus is the ever-blessed God. There's nothing cursed about him. He bears our flesh, but in a sinless way. So he is not cursed. So how could he be our substitute? And here's where the inner logic of the law itself comes to play. No, he didn't sin, but he was cursed according to Deuteronomy 21:23 which says cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree now i hope you recognize how amazing this is scripture foreseeing because when that was written in Deuteronomy that was some 1500 years before the persians invented crucifixion this was not Christians going back into the Old Testament and changing things. That's the original Hebrew text. That was a part of the law. That had always been there. And for 1,500 years, it really only applied to people who, either for punishment or after being defeated, usually their corpse, were hung up literally on a tree or on a post. And it was a way of displaying them. Here's the original command given in Deuteronomy 21. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For, and this is the only reason you're saved if you're saved. It's this one line. 
A hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. That command of Deuteronomy was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, Jesus probably would have been left up on the cross overnight, violating that command, except that in the providence of God, the day after his death was a Sabbath, and the Jewish people were concerned to have him and the criminals next to him off the cross so that they wouldn't violate the Sabbath, not even, I guess, thinking about this command. And so Joseph of Arimathea requests the body of Jesus, and that same day that he's crucified, removes him and buries him. Jesus literally fulfilled this command entirely. But more to the point of our text, a hanged man is cursed by God. Now this is the scandal of the gospel. This is why the gospel was a stumbling block and is a stumbling block to the Jewish people. Because they know that to be true, it's in their own law. And if Jesus comes claiming to be the blessed Messiah who will lead his people into places of victory and yet goes and is hanged on a tree, he's not the blessed Messiah. He's cursed by God. And they're right. But Paul says, that's the whole point. That's not an accident. Jesus came into this world in order to be cursed by God. And no one put him on the cross. He willingly laid down his own life to receive that curse. Why did he sweat drops as of blood in the garden? Why was he in agony? It wasn't just the fact of martyrdom because there have been many much braver martyrs that followed afterward in the history of Christianity. It was because he was about to be cursed by God. He was about to experience the essence of what hell is while he hung upon the cross. It is an accursedness by God himself. What Paul is saying here in Galatians is that our salvation is all about substitution. That as we have said, the law has an absolute requirement and our cursedness can't just be ignored or thrown away. It's impossible for God to remain righteous and ignore any violation of his law. So his curse remains upon us. So the question becomes, then how can anyone be saved since we've all violated God's law? Here's the only answer. And God has provided it. Your curse can't be taken away, but your curse can be transferred. Romans 3 explains it like this. This is what happened on the cross. Jesus died there, and this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, because he's a patient God, he had passed over former sins. God in history had forgiven his people of violations of his law. That's impossible. How can he be righteous and do that? The cross shows us how. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here we are as sinners. I hope we all can agree that's true of every single one of us to a man and to a woman. So what is God going to do? Either on the one hand, he can agree that we are sinners. That's the reality. And then because he is righteous, we are under a curse and his judgment. It has to be that way for him to be righteous. Or on the other hand, maybe God will look on us with compassion. And he could say, I'm not going to hold your sin against you. I want to forgive you. But then he's not just. So he becomes a justifier, but then he's not just. 
So either he blesses us and he's not just, or he curses us and he's not a justifier. But you can't have it both ways, just and justifier. But then Jesus steps in and says, oh, yes, you can, through substitution. Because Jesus is hung upon a tree to be cursed, so that then you have God as just because he is responding to every violation of his law with perfect judgment. There's not one violation he's ignoring. But the curse of it all falls upon Jesus on the cross. It is a real curse. It is a real penalty. But it's really poured out on a substitute. And that means that if you've trusted in Christ and your sins are accounted to him and your curse is given to him, then Jesus now extends his hand and says, here's my blessing. The very blessing promised to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed. This is the only way it could happen. And this is the way it has happened. Through this substitution, Jesus steps in and says, I will take the curse and you take the blessing. So he does his cross work 2,000 years ago. And then according to verse 14, it is so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham. The blessing. He's cursed so that the blessing comes to you. That's the substitution. You remember in the Old Testament how hard Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, how hard Jacob worked to steal the blessing from his brother. And yet, Jesus is the anti-Jacob. Because look at how hard he has worked to take his blessing and give it to you. He did all of it. All he asked of you in exchange was your curse. If you'll give him your curse, he'll give you his blessing. So why not give him your curse? Why not do that? As I said, you're either cursed or blessed. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. But if you're cursed, you may have been trying a whole variety of rather creative methods of removing the curse. And it's a little bit like when you buy some new cup from the store and sometimes they put a price tag on that is utterly irremovable. I don't know why they do that. You can't get it off of there. And you try as you might and it's just left with a sticky residue and everything sticks to it. That is what you look like thus far trying to deal with the curse that you sense in yourself. That you're not a good enough person. But Jesus can get it off, and he's offering to do it. If we come to him and offer him no longer our doings, no longer what we do, no longer, Jesus, will you accept what I've done, my church attendance, my good deeds, will you accept this and give me blessing? And he says, no, no, I won't. The law stands. But when you come to Jesus and all you have in your hand is your curse, and you say, I give up. I give up. I've tried to do everything I can with this curse. Everything. And I can do nothing. Will you take it? And the moment you do that, he takes your curse. You'll never see it again. He takes it to Calvary and it's gone. And the only thing you see instead is a blessing. The thing is, for you to receive this blessing, you literally, excuse me, you literally must do nothing. And I mean that in a very conscious and intentional way. You have to consciously decide you will do nothing to get it. Because if you try to do something to get it, you spoil the whole thing. It is a conscious, active labor of doing nothing to receive salvation. 
To the one who does not work, says scripture, but believes, does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. He never justifies the godly. Who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. If you believe, you just believe in Jesus. You don't do anything else. You just believe in him. The moment you do that, you are not cursed anymore. None. Past record, cleared. Innocent. It's not about lessening the frequency. Irrelevant. You are now blessed. Blessed now. Blessed forever. And if God's curse is fierce and frightening. If God's curse results in an eternity of conscious torment. If that is the outcome of God's curse. So immense. So massive is that curse. Then what must God's blessing be? It is not less immense. It is not less massive. If you could take hell and turn it upside down, that is the blessing. Just as terrible as hell and punishment and curse is, so great is blessing in Christ. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God, really the blessing that God has prepared for those who love him. And I suppose I'll have to re-preach this sermon in heaven to really tell you what that means. My eye hasn't seen it either, just as yours hasn't. But that is the blessing for all who believe in Christ. So let me conclude this message by just now turning to those of you who have believed in Christ. And let me tell you with a real confidence, because maybe you don't have this confidence yourself. You are blessed. Say, well, you haven't seen my life lately. It's quite a mess. What does that have to do with anything? What an irrelevant statement. (laughs) We're not talking about externally blessed. The wicked can be externally blessed. Blessed in the truest sense. Blessed with the blessings of heaven above and earth beneath. Blessed with the blessings of eternity. That is your status if you're in Christ. If you believed, say, yeah, I've believed, but I'm kind of one of these second-rate Christians. I'm not that great of a Christian. Were we talking about what you're doing? (laughs) We're not talking about what you're doing. Get that out of here. You believe in Christ, you're blessed. You're not cursed. And we have to say it this confidently here because you know that Satan, the accuser, is working every day. He's looking at your circumstance, which in this world, because this world can't bear to have us in it, it spits us out. And in this world, you're going to have hard circumstances. And Satan stands up and he says, cursed, cursed, you're cursed. And he points at your circumstance, you're cursed, it's obvious. And then he looks at your sin, he points at your sin, cursed. You're cursed. And in the middle of all that, the Holy Spirit, as a still small voice through the scriptures, comes and points at the cross and says, Oh no, you're blessed. You are blessed of God because he was cursed in your place.